on today's special episode. We're going to do the second part of Dean Coral, the Candyman. You're listening to Bad in the Boondocks, baby. Hey guys and gals, and welcome to Bad in the Boondocks. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Stan. And I'm Drew. And we're glad that you joined us here, or we hope that you found it on today's second part of the Candyman Can. Yes. Um, Just a quick something. If you will, we have been nominated for the Podcast Podcast Awards. Awards. And if you could go to www.podcastawards.com. And sign up. Sign up. It's just a, it only yep. takes five seconds. Yeah, we're on um, and please, society and culture and people's choice. Yeah, so go up under people's choice and choose bad in the boondocks and society and culture and choose bad in the boondocks. That would mean so much to us. So yes, please, please just take the little bit of time and go vote. Even if you don't like us, do it. All right. This is the second part. We're going to go ahead and get right into it. When we left off. Okay. Henley had just shot Cole. And he had called the police. So we'll pick up where we left off. Now, when questioned regarding his claim that as Cole had threatened him that morning, He had shouted that he had killed several boys. Henley explained that for almost three years, he and David Brooks had helped procure teenage boys, some of whom had been their own friends for Coral, who then raped and murdered them. Henley gave a verbal statement stating he had initially believed the boys he had abducted were to be sold into a Dallas-based organization for quote-unquote, homosexual acts, sodomy, and maybe later for killing. Hey, uh, but um, he didn't really have to tell all that on himself, did he? No, he wouldn't have had to, but it would have probably come out. Well, I guess it, it might have came out, but I mean, I would blame it all on Coral, say that, you know, I wouldn't say that I'll... I abducted all these all these kids for him. I'd say like it's all his fault. Well, I wouldn't have done it, so. Yeah, I wouldn't have done it neither. Soon he learned, though, he told the police, that Coral was himself actively killing the victims that he gave to him. Henley admitted he had assisted Coral in several abductions and murders and that he had actively participated in the torture and mutilation of six or eight victims prior to their murder. Most victims had been buried in a southwest Houston boat shed, with others buried at Lake Sam and High Island Beach. Coral had paid up to $200 for each victim he or Brooks were able 
to lure to his apartment. Police were initially skeptical of Henley's claims, assuming the sole homicide of the case was that of Coral, which they had put down to being the result of drug-fueled rampage that had turned deadly. Henley was quite insistent, however, and upon his recalling the names of three boys, Cobble, Hillegeist, and Jones, whom he stated he and David Brooks had gotten for Coral, the police accepted that there was something to his claims. As all three teenagers were listed as missing at the Houston Police Headquarters, David Hillegeist had been reported missing in the summer of 1971. Now, the other two boys had been missing for just about two weeks. Moreover, the floor of the room where the three teenagers had been tied up was covered in thick plastic sheeting. Police also found a plywood torture board measuring eight by three foot with handcuffs in each corner. Also found at Coral's address were a large hunting knife, rolls of clear plastic of the same type used to cover the floor, a portable radio rigged to a pair of dry cell batteries to give increased volume, an electric motor with loose wires attached, eight pairs of handcuffs, a number of dildos, thin glass tubes, and lengths of rope. Good God, that's a lot of stuff, ain't it? <laughs> it was almost like describing your room. <laughs> oh, get out of my face, dude. Coral's Ford Econoline van parked in the driveway conveyed a similar impression. The rear windows of the van were sealed by opaque blue curtains. In the rear of the vehicle, police found a coil of rope, a swatch of beige rug covered in soil stains, and a wooden crate with air holes drilled into the sides. The pegboard walls inside the rear of the van were rigged with several rings and hooks, Another wooden crate with air holes drilled in the sides was also found in Coral's backyard. Inside this crate were several strands of human hair. Henley agreed to accompany police to Coral's boat shed in southwest Houston, where he claimed that the bodies of most of the victims could be found. Inside Coral's boat shed, police found a half-stripped car, so I'm guessing this boat shed is not the kind this, of we thought it was. No, this boat shed had to be... A shed. just must have been a shed. Giant. I mean, it had to be oh, pretty yeah. massive. Was there even a boat in it, though? I don't, I don't even think so. I think it just had bodies and stuff. I don't think it did. It had a half-stripped car, which turned out to have been stolen from a used car lot in March. Of course. It had a child's bike inside, empty bags of lime, and a box full of teenage boys' clothing. Police began digging through the soft, shell-crushed earth of the boat shed and soon uncovered the body of a young, blonde-haired teenage boy. Lying on his side, encased in clear plastic and buried beneath a layer of lime. Police continued excavating through the earth of the shed, unearthing the remains of more victims in varying stages of decomposition. Most of the bodies were found were wrapped in thick, clear plastic sheeting. Some victims had been shot, others had been strangled. The ligature still wrapped tightly around their necks. All of the victims found had been sodomized, and most victims found bore evidence of sexual torture. 
pubic hairs have been plucked out. Genitals have been chewed. Ow, do you know how bad that hurt? Not from experience, but no, I assume your it balls would. are chewed. Objects have been inserted into their rectums, and glass rods have been shoved into their urethra. Oh my god! And smashed. Oh my god! That would hurt worse than chewing up the balls. Oh my god! I know that it would, dude. Cloth rags had also been inserted into the victims' mouths and adhesive tape wound around their faces to muffle their screams. The mouth of the third victim unearthed on August 8th was so agape that all upper and lower teeth were visible. Leading investigators to theorize the youth had died with a scream on his lips. On August 8th, 1973, eight corpses were unearthed at the boat shed. Unearthed? Yeah. Oh, uncovered. <laughs> I don't know where I got unearthed. I need to take well, I mean, the same thing. I mean, unearthed, uncovered. Okay. Accompanied by his father, David Brooks presented himself at the Houston Police Station on the evening of August 8th, 1973, and gave a statement denying any participation in the murders. But admitting to having known that Coral had raped and killed two youths in 1970. On the morning of August 9th, 1973, Henley gave a full written statement detailing his and Brooks's involvement with Dean Coral in the abduction and murder of numerous youths. In this confession, Henley readily admitted to having personally killed approximately nine youths and to have assisted Coral in the strangulation of others. So, I mean, you wouldn't really have to say that. No, you wouldn't. But, one, I mean, they're killers. I mean, they're not logical to begin with. Yeah. Okay. Now, I'm not questioning them because they're already a little out there. They're killing people. Mm-hmm. All right. He also stated the only three abductions and murders that Brooks had not assisted him in and Coral with were three murders committed in the summer of 1973. That afternoon, Henley accompanied police to Lake Sam in San Augustine County, where he, Brooks, and Coral had buried four victims killed that year. Two additional bodies were found in shallow, lime-soaked graves located close to a dirt road. Inside the lakeside log cabin owned by Coral's family, police found a second plywood torture board. Rolls of plastic sheeting, shovels, and a sack of lime. Police found nine additional bodies in the boat shed on August 9th of 1973, all of which were in an advanced state of decomposition. One of the bodies unearthed bore evidence of sexual mutilation in that the severed genitals of the victim were found inside a sealed plastic bag placed beside the body. Another victim unearthed has several fractured ribs. The 13th and 14th bodies unearthed bore identification cards naming the victims as Donald and Jerry Waldrop, brothers. David Brooks gave a full confession on the evening of August 9th, admitting to being present at several killings and assisting in several burials, although he continued to deny any direct participation in the murder. So, see, he's trying to be a little like you were saying. Yeah, denying. Yeah. 
In reference to the torture board upon which Coral had restrained and tortured his victims, Brooks stated, Once they were on the board, they were as good as dead. It was all over. But the shouting and the crying. He agreed to accompany police to High Island Beach to assist in the search for the bodies of the victims. On August 10th of 1973, Henley again accompanied police to Lake Sam, where two more bodies were found buried just 10 feet apart. Good God, they made the police like easy as crap for them. Yeah, they didn't they're have, giving they it didn't, everything. They didn't, the thing is, they done killed the coral, so now it's just all on them. Exactly, that's why it doesn't <laughs> make much sense to me. As with the two bodies found the previous day, both victims had been tortured and severely beaten particularly around the head. That afternoon, both Henley and Brooks accompanied police to High Island Beach, leading police to the shallow graves of two more victims. On August 13th of 1973, both Henley and Brooks again accompanied police to High Island Beach, where four more bodies were found, making a total of 27 known victims the worst killing spree in American history at the time. Yeah. Henley initially insisted that there were two more bodies to be found inside the boat shed. And also that the bodies of two more boys had been buried at High Island Beach in 1972. At the time, the killing spree was the worst case of serial murder in terms of the number of victims in the United States, exceeding the 25 murders attributed to Juan Corona, who had been arrested in California in 1971 for killing 25 men. The macabre record of number of known victims attributed to a single murder case set by the Houston mass murders was only surpassed in 1978 by who? I don't know. John Wayne Gacy. who murdered 33 boys and young men and who admitted to being influenced by Dean Coral and his accomplices. Families of Coral's victims were highly critical of the Houston Police Department, which had been quick to list the missing boys as runaways who had not been considered worthy of any major investigation. The families of the murdered youths asserted that the police should have noted an insidious trend in the pattern of disappearances of teenage boys from the Heights neighborhood. Other family members complained the police had been dismissive to their adamant insistence that their sons had no reason to run away from home. Everett Waldrop, the father of the brothers Donald and Jerry, complained that shortly after his sons had disappeared in 1971, he had informed police an acquaintance had observed Coral buying what appeared to be, burying what appeared to be the bodies at his boat shed. And I think I would have snuck in the boat shed at night and tried to look. I don't understand. The police didn't do anything And whenever you have brothers, then they didn't go missing at the same exact time. No, it's like it's like they were just expecting everything to be handed to them, and at the end well, it, it was, was, but it was too late then. It wouldn't have been had they not killed Coral. That's true. They would have kept on doing it. I mean, had he not taken that girl there that night. Yeah, they would have kept on yeah. doing it. In response, the police performed a perfunctory search 
around the shed before dismissing the reports as a hoax. So they even searched. As a hoax? Yeah, they searched around the boat shed, didn't go in. They're so stupid, dude. (laughs) Waldrop also stated that on one occasion when he visited the Houston Police Department, the police chief had simply told him, Why are you down here? You know your boys is runaways. <laughs> the mother of Gregory Malley Winkle stated, You don't run away from home with nothing but a bathing suit and 80 cents. That's all he had? Yeah. Good Lord. I don't know how she knew he had 80 cents. 80 cents, yeah. How do you know that... <laughs> By April 1974, 21 of Coral's victims had been identified with all but four of the youths having either lived in or had close connections to Houston Heights. So they were all from the same place almost. Yeah. Two more teenagers were identified in 1983 and 1985, one of whom, Richard Kepner, also lived in Houston Heights. The other youth, Willard Branch, lived in the Oak Forest District of Houston. Elmer Wayne Hindley and David Owen Brooks were tried separately for their roles in the murders. Hindley was brought to trial in San Antonio on July 1st of 1974. Charged with six murders committed between March 1972 and July of 1973. The prosecution called dozens of witnesses, including Tim Curley and a youth named Billy Ridinger who had been lured to Coral's Schuler Street address by Henley, Brooks, and Coral in 1972. Ridinger testified that at Coral's home, he was tied to Coral's torture board and assaulted repeatedly by Coral before he was released. Other incriminating testimony came from police officers who read from Henley's written statements. In one part of his confession, Henley had described his luring of two of the victims for whose murder he had been brought to trial, Charles Cobble and Marty Jones, to Coral's Pasadena house. Henley had confessed that after their initial abuse and torture at Coral's home, Cobble and Jones each had one wrist and ankle bound to the same side of Coral's torture board. The youths were then forced by Coral to fight each other with the promise that the youth who beat the other to death would be allowed to live. After several hours of each youth beating the other, Jones was tied to a board and forced to watch Charles Cobble again be assaulted, tortured, and shot to death. That's something. Mm Mm-hmm. Then, after that, he himself was again raped, tortured, and strangled with a Venetian blind cord. Uh, What? (laughs) Strangled with it? Okay. What did I say? No, I thought that you said, like, whenever you said... Oh, assaulted with it? Assaulted, that it was like... like That would be odd. I thought that it was like one of them, um, you know, the blind things that you turn, and then they just... Yeah, and then they just... Uh, shoved it in. The two youths were killed on July 27th, 1973, two days after they had been reported missing. Several victims' parents had to leave the courtroom to regain their composure as police and medical examiners described how their relatives were tortured and murdered. 
Throughout the trial, the state introduced 82 pieces of evidence, including Coral's torture board and one of the boxes used to transport the victims. Inside the box, police, remember, had found hair, which examiners had concluded came from both Charles Cobble and Wayne Henley. Upon advice from his defense counsel, Henley did not take the stand to testify. His defense attorney, Will Gray, cross-examined several witnesses but did not call any witnesses or experts for the defense. On July 15th of 1974, both counsels presented their closing arguments to the jury. The prosecution seeking life imprisonment, the defense a verdict of not guilty. In his closing argument to the jury, what? Who did you say was not guilty? Oh, you ain't listening. I was listening. I just didn't hear that part. The defense was seeking a verdict of not guilty. Okay. Yes. In his closing argument to the jury, District Attorney Carol Vance apologized for his not being able to seek the death penalty, adding that the case was the most extreme example of man's inhumanity to man I have ever seen. The jury deliberated for 92 minutes before finding Hindley guilty of all six murders for which he was tried. The following day, July 16th, Hindley was sentenced to six consecutive 99-year terms for a total of 594 years. I'm sure he'll live that long. For each of the murders for which he was charged. Henley appealed against his sentence and conviction, contending the jury in his initial trial had not been sequestered, that his attorney's objections to news media being present in the courtroom had been overruled, and citing that his defense team's attempts to present evidence contending that the initial trial should not have been held in San Antonio had also been overruled by the judge. Henley's appeal was upheld, and he was awarded a retrial in December of 1978. Wow. Henley's retrial began on June 18th of 1979. Uh The second trial was held in the Corpus Christi, with Henley again represented by defense attorneys Will Gray and Ed Pegalow. Related to Deuce Bigelow. Mel Gigolo. Is he really? (laughs) (laughs) Henley's attorneys again attended to have Henley's written statements ruled inadmissible. However, Judge Noah Kennedy ruled that the written statements given by Henley as admissible. The retrial lasted nine days with Henley's attorneys again calling no defense witnesses and again attacking the credibility of Henley's written confession. The defense also contended the evidence provided by the state belonged to Dean Coral, not Elmer Wayne Henley. On June 27th of 1979, the jury deliberated for over two hours before reaching their verdict. Henley was again convicted to six murders and sentenced to six concurrent 99-year terms. <laughs> Same thing. Now, David Brooks was brought to trial on February 27th of 1975. Brooks had been indicted for four murders committed between December 1970 and June of 1973, but was brought to trial charged only with the June 1973 murder of 15-year-old William Ray Lawrence. Brooks's defense attorney, Jim Skelton, argued that his client had not committed any murders and attempted to portray Coral, 
and to a lesser degree Henley as being the active participants in all the actual killings. Assistant District Attorney Tommy Dunn dismissed the defense's contention outright, at one point telling the jury, This defendant was in on the killing, this murderous rampage from the very beginning. He tells you he was a cheerleader, if nothing else. That's what he was telling you about his presence. You know he was in on it. <laughs> David Brooks's trial lasted less than one week. The jury deliberated for 90 minutes, and they reached a verdict. He was found guilty of Lawrence's murder on March 4th, 1975, and sentenced to, to life year, uh, I thought to was... life imprisonment. Oh, that it would be like 25 years to life or no. something. He showed no emotion as the sentence was passed, although his wife burst into tears. Wow. Maybe she should have burst into tears whenever she found out that he actually did all yeah. this shit. I mean, that's pretty messed up. Brooks also appealed against his sentence, as you do, contending that the signed confessions used against him were taken without his being informed of his legal rights. But I think, you know, if you're signing a confession, you should. Well, you got to think, like, that is even what though, even you should not even have to be read your rights. If you're in a police station and you are writing down something and signing your name to it, you know what the hell you're doing. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but like you ain't writing in your diary. Even like Henley, why does he try to do a, a like a retrial? If, oh, well, just because you can. I'm just saying, shit. why why did he do all that and then tried to recant his confession? Because yeah, he sure was running that mouth to begin. Look how many times he took the police out to find the bodies. I don't, I don't, I just don't understand it. Why are you trying to make yourself look innocent after mm-hmm. you done told on yourself so many times? Because then he's like, oopsie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But his appeal was dismissed in May of 1979. Now, both Henley and Brooks are serving their life sentences. Henley is incarcerated at the Mark W. Michael Unit in Anderson County, Texas. Brooks is incarcerated at the Ramsey Unit near Sharon, Texas. And that's just in case you want to visit or write. Nah, I'm pretty good. All right. Well, and that concludes the story of the Candyman can, Mr. Dean Coral. Yep. So that was a doozy. That was an in-depth one. So hopefully people that wanted a little more in-depth multi-episode, you got your fix. Yeah, why don't you comment or um, comment how you like this. How how did you feel about it? Do you like the stories, two-parters, where it goes into a lot more detail, or do you like the shorter two stories? Let us know. Yeah. Why are you looking at me like that? Because, like, I mean, we'll always do, like, one of these every once in a while. But, I just like, want to know if they like them or not. Yeah, but the two stories are a thing. I understand that, but I'm just asking if they like Anyways, them. Anyways, okay. If they don't, we won't do anymore. We're going to Chicago this weekend for the True Crime Podcast. You might get thrown out of plane. And um, you were talking about, well, they, they tore down the building, but Caprini Greens or something like that, right? What? Why are you acting like you don't know what I'm talking about? You know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't know why you're bringing about. it up, because Cabrini Green's not even there. Just to talk about it. What about it? It ain't there no more. Because you said that you wanted to go to it, and that's where the Candyman was, was filmed. But it's not there So anymore. I don't understand what's the problem, because it it's relatable. But it's not, because it's not even there anymore. And everybody knows Cabrini oh, Green, except gosh, for you. Dude. Yes, I do know. Now. 
No, I've been known. Whenever about. I said Cabrini Green, you said, What is that? Anyways. <laughs> and then I read why the Wikipedia. You sh- why don't you shut your mouth, okay? Just be quiet. <laughs> Check us out on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Just look up Bad in the Boondocks and you'll find us. And please go to the podcast awards. Sign up and vote for us under these categories, the People's Choice Awards, as well as Society and Culture. And you are not in France. You do not wave hello with your middle finger here in South Carolina. <laughs> Shut the hell up, asshole. <laughs> okay. Also, we love y'all. Please rate and review and tell your friends. Let us know how we're doing. We haven't gotten any reviews or any comments. Lately. Well, yes, we've had Well, one. we've got we've, we've got had two like comments. One. Yes, and we love two. them. We love our Fans that have been there from the get-go, California, you know who you are. Thanks. <laughs> and right, um, till next time. Also, please go and visit. We're about to do a Patreon episode in the next day. Yeah. And we're about to do some a lot more to it, but we just don't have but one patron. And so <laughs> feel kind of lonely. Please go to Patreon. We're completely independent. Yes, I finally got my computer back today, oh y'all. So, wow, so freaking, so freaking great, exciting. Dude. My computer's back and all that jazz. So I feel we spent, like we spent, a man. <laughs> what, song, what song is that? I don't know. I was going to say, I feel like a woman. I feel like a woman. That ain't even a song I don't like. No, I don't think Okay, it is. anyway. <laughs> Shit, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but pl- check out Patreon and maybe consider if you have that extra it money is that's not running a hole in your pocket. For to do us this. to do this. No, it's not cheap at all. No. But I don't want ads. I don't like having ads. Oh, my that's God. I hate it whenever I look at a, a video or on YouTube, and they just started doing this, and they just clutter the whole freaking video with a bunch of ads that you have to sit there and watch. And I just think that it's so retarded, don't you? Yes, I do. Yeah, because like that's actually going to make somebody go on there and buy something. I also don't like listening to a podcast, and there's – Four ads in it. Yeah, I don't like that. I mean, I just like that we have done, we have done this without any kind of monetary anything. We do not have ads. We do not have sponsors. We do not have a network at the beginning. So it's all out of pocket, and we are some broke Southern boys. We barely getting to Chicago. We, we almost have to. With, let me tell you, I don't know what kind of plane we're going to be going on. <laughs> that thing might be <laughs> a riggedy. That thing might be losing wings and everything. <laughs> we might make it. But after the Chicago trip, we is broke. Oh yeah, as many stuff as we be spending on and stuff. We don't. We can't. We can't keep a hundred dollars for nothing. That's gone in about. That's what gone. You say? That's gone about thirty minutes. Hands. Yeah, it is. Shoot. $100 just does our hosting and website every month. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, anyway. I think that's all we got. We right? love y'all, and I always, I'm Stan. And I'm always Drew. And, and we'll, we'll see, see you next time. time. See ya. Bye. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>